Well, welcome again. Good morning. And happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. Really glad you're here with us. Hey, if you have your Bibles, uh, grab them at this point in time. If you don't, there should be several Bibles scattered in the pew backs in front of you. Why don't you go ahead and grab uh, one of those, and uh, we will be in the Gospels uh, this morning. So if you want to begin in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, you can. We'll be finding our way into John and uh, into Acts as well. We'll be finding our way into Mark. So we'll be hovering around the Gospels this morning. If you want to grab your Bibles... This morning, uh, our Mother's Day sermon is entitled, Marks of Motherhood. Marks of Motherhood. And this morning, we will be looking at the life of maybe the most um, well-known mother in all of the Bible. And uh, of course, I'm referring to Mary, the mother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And from her life, I think we'll see some characteristics, some marks, if you will, of motherhood that uh, will be insightful and I pray an encouragement to all of us, especially you moms out there. So I trust that you uh, uh, have a Bible open and let's pray, if you will, one more time and then we'll dive in. So uh, pray with me, please, church. Father, again, we bless you and thank you for uh, the influence that moms have. We're so very grateful, so very grateful for all that they have and for all that they are and for all that they do. And we pray that this morning would be a measure of, of encouragement to them. We pray, Father, as we seek to honor them, that we would honor you. You are the, the fount of every blessing. And so tune our hearts to sing your praise because of our moms, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, a group of second graders in a local church Sunday school class were asked a host of questions about motherhood. And so here are some of the top answers that uh, came from that Sunday school class. Question number one from the Sunday school teacher, why did God make mothers? Why did God make mothers? A few of the answers given. Uh, One child said, mostly uh, to clean the house. I don't know about that. This one's better. Well, to help us get out of there when we were being born. That's important. Question number two. Why did God give you your mother and not some other mother? Uh, One of the young children said, well, because we're related. Of course we are. And another one said, I like this one. God knew that she would like me more than other people's moms like me. (laughs) Question number three. um, Why did your mom marry your dad? And the top answer, one little girl said, well, my grandma says that mom didn't have her thinking cap on. (laughs) Question number four, who is the boss at your house? Top answer, I guess mom is, because she has a lot more to do than dad does. Question number five, what would it take for your mom to be perfect? The top answer uh, read this way, well, on the inside, she's already perfect. Oh, but on the outside, he said, I think some sort of plastic surgery. (laughs) Well, speaking of perfect moms, I find it interesting as I began to look through all of the moms that we see mentioned in the scriptures, we find out that surprise, surprise, uh, while many of them are good, none of them are perfect. In fact, many of them are less than perfect. Perfect, including the most prominent mom in the Bible, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so, in our sermon this morning, I want to take a look at the life of Mary. What, what can we learn about motherhood from Mary's experience? And of course, hers was particularly unique, right? None of you have perfect children, do you? You may think they're perfect, uh, but she quite literally 
had a perfect child. And yet we can learn some things from her and her experience as a mother. So I want to look at Mary and her life uh, in sort of three phases. First of all, we will see some things about Mary from the early years of Jesus, both both the, the birth of Jesus and his early life. So early in the Gospels, we'll see some marks of motherhood. And then we'll skip ahead about 30 years, and then we'll see Mary's interaction with Jesus during Jesus' three years uh, of ministry. What can we learn? Some marks of motherhood from that. And then we'll take a, a look at Jesus' uh, post-resurrection life, if you well, after his death and his burial and his resurrection, we see Mary showing up one other time in the book of Acts, and we'll get a fifth mark of motherhood. So let's begin in Luke chapter 1. I hope you have your Bible there. Luke chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 28, is where we see our first mark of motherhood, and it is simply this. Motherhood is a gift of God's grace. Motherhood is a gift of God's grace. So as we get into Luke chapter 1, let me set the scene. We have the angelic uh, visit uh, from the angel Gabriel, and he is visiting Mary to inform her that God had chosen her to be the mother of uh, his eternal son. So let's begin in verse 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, after a cursory reading, sort of a simple reading, we might conclude as we think about God choosing Mary to be the mother of Jesus, that somehow he chose her because she was super special. Or, or, Or maybe she was more godly. Or maybe she was more qualified somehow to be uh, the mother of his eternal son. And that's why God chose her. But in fact, when we read through these verses, we learn quite the opposite, in fact. Mary here is called by the angel Gabriel, highly favored. Greetings, you who are highly favored. Literally, uh, the text says, you have been given a super grace. That's a more literal translation. You have been given grace by God, and His grace to you is abundant. It is a super grace. See, Mary was highly favored because God chose to bestow upon her a special grace. It's not like God looked down and said, what kind of a mother I know she's going to be. She's going to be super awesome, and so I'm going to choose her. No, God in his grace said, Mary, this is not something you've earned. You've not merited it. it, it you're, you're not qualified, but I'm going to choose you for motherhood. I'm going to choose you to be a mom. I'm going to super grace you, if you will. At the end of verse 30, the angel Gabriel says, Gabriel says, you have found favor with God. God is, God is pleased with you to give you this all-important task of motherhood. See, God singled out Mary for this important task. And moms, God has done the same for you when he made you a mom. So the question I want to ask is, are we enjoying this gift? Are you thankful to God for this gift? Gina Smith, she is a Christian blogger. She has a a blog called Mom Life Today. And on the blog, she tells this particular story. And I quote, she, she says, it was Christmas time and my daughter was about three years old. 
course, the anticipated gift-opening time finally arrived, and my sweet three-year-old daughter would pick up the gift and tear the paper off as fast as she could and looked to see what was inside. And then very quickly, she would discard that gift, sort of setting it aside because she was anxious for the next gift. And so she went, and then she applies it to moms out there, writing, quote, we, we are all very much like my precious child was on that Christmas day. The gift of motherhood is one of the most precious gifts and callings. She writes, sadly, after we are given this gift, we can easily become discontent and want more. We quickly lose sight of what a treasure we have been given because of the challenges that come along with the gift. If we are not carefully and prayerfully and regularly, she writes, evaluating our calling, making sure that we are not becoming distracted by other potential gifts, we we might lose sight of the most important calling and gift that we have been given, and that is the gift of motherhood. Moms, motherhood is a tremendous gift to you. God has given you a super grace by granting you your children. Though it may seem at times like it's the gift that keeps on giving, if you know what I mean. Moms, remember the angel's words to Mary and to you. You are highly favored. And in your endeavor of motherhood, the Lord is with you. God is with you. So we see in Luke chapter 1, the first mark of motherhood. And that is motherhood is a gift of grace. If you turn with me to chapter 2 in the Gospel of Luke, we find yet another mark of motherhood, and it's found in Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 23. There we see Joseph and Mary, and Jesus has been born. And so they are taking Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem to present uh, their firstborn son to the Lord. And in that act, we see the second mark of motherhood, That motherhood is not only a gift of God's grace to you, but motherhood is a stewardship. Motherhood is a stewardship. It is not ownership. Let's take a look in verse 22. When the time came, the text reads, For the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, that is Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. See, Mary and Joseph, we learn in the early chapters of the Gospels that they were uh, obedient uh, people. They were godly uh, young men and young women. They sought to please the Lord and to be obedient. And so we see in verse 21, they circumcise Jesus according to the law of God. And then we see starting in verse 22, they also obeyed God's law to present him unto himself their firstborn. See, you may remember back in the Exodus, remember way back then, back then, in the Exodus event, right, God sent the angel of death and the final plague in Egypt, God killed the firstborn of all the Egyptians. But, but what happened to the firstborn of the Israelites? Do you remember? God passed over them. They were spared, if you will. And so, To commemorate that event, God told his people that the firstborn, their firstborn, both of children and of animals, uh, belonged to him. And they had to, in a sense, redeem them, to, to buy them back 
at the price of five shekels. And so we see this happening in the life of Jesus. Now, this was not only a way to remember God's grace in the Exodus, but it was a very um, physical, tangible reminder to moms and to dads that the children that they had didn't belong to them, ultimately that they were stewards of these children and that they belonged in reality to the Lord. I ran across an old story that dates back to 1989, but I I found it interesting. There was a family that was living in a home in West Palm Beach, Florida. And apparently that family was approached by a TV crew. Uh, There was an old show, some of you may be familiar with it, uh, B.L. Stryker. Before my time. But there was this old show, uh, B.L. Stryker. And, and they approached the family and they said, Hey, your, 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 your house and your front yard is perfect for this scene. Uh, but we just want to warn you that if you allow us to use your, your home and your front yard, well, there's going to be some car crashes. And most likely there's going to be some explosions. Can we do it? And the family said, Yeah, that'd be great. Our, our house is going to be on TV. But what they didn't say was that they actually didn't own the house. They were renting the house. And so, as the story goes, the, the TV crew is there, and, you know, the explosions start to happen, and the cars start to flip, and, and a neighbor knew the situation. So they called the family in New York City and, and told them about what was going on. And, well, you can guess that they were none too pleased about the events happening at their home, right? Well, see, this, this family thought that they owned the house, and they could do whatever they want uh, with it. But, of course, they were not owners. They were merely stewards. Mom, the same could be said of, of you today. Do we know the difference between renting and owning, between stewardship and ownership when it comes to our precious children? See, they're given to us on loan. They're given to us on loan for 18 years or so, or 19, or 20, depending upon your experience, right? But for a time period... Uh, They are on loan for us. And we are given the task to train them up, the proverb says. Train them up in the way that they should go. We are given the task to bring them up in the training, in the instruction of the Lord, and then to release them unto the Lord and into the world. So moms, stewardship is not only a great gift to you, but it is uh, the gift of not ownership, right? It's, It's the gift of stewardship to you. Next, let's jump ahead as we look at Mary's interaction with Jesus during his time in his three-year ministry. So if you have your Bibles open still, and I hope you do, let's turn to the Gospel of Mark, if you will. Turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3. Mark, chapter 3, as we begin to look at a few incidents where where Mary uh, shows up in Jesus' ministry. So the Gospels jump ahead some 30 years. Jesus has begun his public ministry in the nation of Israel. And here we see in Mark, chapter 2, Starting in verse 20, our third mark of motherhood. And it is this, mothers need a Savior. You could say motherhood needs a Savior. See, thus far in the Gospels, when we look at Mary's life in particular, um, it's, it's outstanding. I mean, she receives God's call to bear the eternal Son of God, despite the hardship and the suffering and the stigma that it would bring about. She, she trusts in the Lord, right? Uh, we see that her and Joseph are obedient parents. They're godly parents. So far, if you will, in the Gospels, 
Mary has looked rather spotless. I mean, she's sort of admirable. But as we get into Jesus' years of ministry, we start to see some chinks in her maternity armor, if you will. There are a few incidences that we could point to, but really one highlights this fact that Mary didn't always treat Jesus right, that she didn't always view her son right, that she wasn't always the perfect, obedient mother. She too needed a savior. One incident that highlights this is found in Mark chapter 3. Notice verses 20 and 21. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. You know, this little incident is often sort of overlooked in the Gospels, when we talk about Jesus and, uh, and Mary and Jesus' brothers and their interaction with him. So let me set the scene. This is early in Jesus' ministry. He is busy, 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 right? He enters a house. The crowd gathers. He doesn't even have time to eat. He's going uh, full hilt. He's doing miracles. He's teaching and, and preaching. And he's saying some rather spectacular things. Now, Mary, remember back in, in, in Luke 1 and in, in, in the other Gospels, she is told that her son was special. She's told that he's going to be the Jewish Messiah. She knew sort of who he was, at least in part. But now he has begun his ministry, and he is doing spectacular things that, that only God can do. And he's saying things um, that are sort of head-scratching. I mean, he's making claims to deity. And so his family, I can almost imagine spearheaded by his mother, his dad has seemingly passed away at this point. And so mama and his other siblings approach him. Notice the language in verse 21. When they heard about this, they went to the NIV says, take charge of him. That's sort of a weak translation. That's, uh, this is the language of, of arresting someone. So they are so concerned about what he's doing and what he's saying that it's almost like they have the handcuffs with him. They're like, we are going to go and arrest him from what he's doing and what he's saying. And why is that? Notice what they think. For they said, he is out of his mind. So friends, there was a time when Jesus' mom thought that he was crazy, that he was out of his mind. Maybe they they thought, in C.S. Lewis's words, that he was a lunatic, as C.S. Lewis says, on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg. In other words, he's just lost it, right? This incident in Mary's life reveals that even the mother of the sinless Son of God was not sinless herself, and that at times she was less had less than honorable motivations. Uh, She read him wrong. She interacted with him wrong, thus confirming that the very thing that her son came to provide, salvation and forgiveness of sins, she herself was in need of. Moms, even Jesus' mom was not perfect. She failed. She sinned. And you will too. So take her weakness and her sin and her failure 
as a measure of encouragement. You, like her, you will make mistakes with your children. You will sin against them in your words and in your motivations and in your decisions. Not to excuse that, not to minimize that, but to say that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came for your sins as a mother and for all of our sins. I came across a list of things this week that mothers should and probably never do say. Things that moms never ought to say. Things like this. Uh, Can you ever imagine a mom saying to her children, how on earth can you see the TV sitting so far back? Why don't you sit right in front of it? Things like, let me smell that shirt. Oh yeah, you're good for another week. Moms, you're going to say that. How about, how about this? Go ahead. You can keep the stray dog. I would be more than happy to feed him and take care of him and walk him every single day. How about this one? Well, if Timmy's mom says it's okay, then it's good enough for me, right? Well, honey, the curfew, it's just a general time to shoot for. It's not like I run a prison around here. No, I don't have a tissue, but that's why you've got your sleeve, honey. You go right ahead, right? Don't bother wearing your jacket. The wind chill is bound to improve, right? Moms, you don't, you don't ever say these things. Included on the list of things that moms should never say is, is I don't need a Savior. Because we all need a Savior. Motherhood needs a Savior. And number four, motherhood, we see in John chapter 19, motherhood is both painful and profound. Would you please turn with me to the Gospel of John? John chapter 19 is where we see uh, this fourth mark. So we skip ahead from Jesus' ministry to his ministry for us on the cross. Because there in John chapter 19, we'll take a look at verses 25 through 27. We fast forward to the foot of the cross where Mary, Jesus' mom, and her sister, and two other Marys stand staring in disbelief. Moms, if you can, just sort of put yourself in her shoes for just a moment. She knew that her son was the Messiah. God had told her that Jesus would be the Messiah. The angel had said so. She had seen the miracles herself. How could this be happening? How could it be happening? This torturous death, this painful death, this shameful place for her son to be hanging naked on a Roman cross. What would it be like for that to be your boy? It's hard to imagine. In verse 25, near the cross of Jesus, we are told, stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. See, for Mary, motherhood wasn't always a pleasant proposition. It led her to the cross. It was a most painful position. Ruth Graham Bell, uh, she has a poem. And one of the verses brings out this reality nicely. A verse in the poem reads this way, Had I been Mary, oh, had I been she, I would have cried as never mother cried, anything, oh God, anything but crucified. Remember what Simeon told her. Remember when she was in the the temple and Simeon came to her and he told her, Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul. He told her that motherhood is not always pleasant, 
That is, it's a gift of God's grace, but that motherhood can be oh so painful. And here, with her son crucified, she was experiencing the, 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 the pierced heart that Simeon predicted. Some of you moms know what Mary felt like. Some of you moms know so intimately what Mary felt like. And all of you moms know, in some form or fashion, the pains, the, the trials that are associated with, with, with motherhood. Yours is a hard job, often wrought with expected and unexpected pains. Be it the pains of caring for newborn babies or the, the, the difficulties of raising teenagers or the ever, ever constant demands of children and of family and of food and of clothing and of uh, schedules. The, emotion, the emotional pain of seeing your children struggle and suffer and go through hard times and the list could just go on and on. And you can tell me more than I know. And so moms, motherhood in this fallen world, it is a painful proposition. Mary found this out. And yet, at the same time, in the very next verse, we see that motherhood is not just a painful proposition, but it is a profound position. Notice the next thing that happens in verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother there. So Jesus is in agony. He's being tortured. He's about to bear the the sins of the entire world. And he looks down from his perch on the cross and he he sees his mom. This is a tender scene. He sees his mom her face wet and hot with tears. He sees his mom suffering and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. That's John. And he said to her, so Jesus speaks to his mom, Woman, here is your son, referring to John. And he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. From that time on, we're told, this disciple took her into his home. Friends, this is a beautiful scene of love and of care and of tenderness and of Jesus honoring his mom even in his agony. Jesus provides for her. He says, John, you take care of her because I'm not going to be able to. And mom, look, this is now your son. It's beautiful. He honors his mom as the fifth commandment told him to do so. And and by doing so, it reveals to us how Jesus felt about his mom and the profundity of motherhood. G.K. Chesterton, um, a, a Christian author of about a century ago, writes about the profound nature of motherhood. He said this, Speaking of the daily operations surrounding the mom, what moms do every day, he says, she's surrounded with very young children who need to be taught not so much anything, but everything. Isn't that true, mom? You need to teach your children not just anything, but everything. He says, babies need not to be taught a trade, but to be introduced to a world. To put the matter shortly, a woman is generally shut up in the house with a human being at the time when he or she asks all the questions that there are and some that there are not. You ever had one of those kids, mom? Why? 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 He he writes, when people begin to talk about this domestic duty as not merely difficult, but trivial and dreary, he says, I cannot, with the utmost energy of imagination, conceive what they mean. 
He says, if drudgery only means dreadfully hard work, I admit that the woman dredges in the home as a man might dredge at his work. Mom, say amen. Right now, amen. Is motherhood hard work? Yes, yes it is. But I mean that the work, that the hard work is more heavy But if it means that the hard work is more heavy because it is trifling or colorless and of small import to the soul, in other words, if it's not important, then I say, give it up. That is, give up that sort of absurdity. He says, how can can it be an important career to tell other people about mathematics and a small career to tell your own children about the universe? He says, a woman's function is laborious, not because it is minute, but because it is gigantic. Moms, your calling, it's not only painful, but it is profound. It is gigantically important. And let's close with one more mark of motherhood. If you have your Bibles open, turn with me to the, to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. So we fast forward. Jesus is, has died. He has risen from the dead. He has uh, ascended into heaven. And so we see a small band of his followers, of his disciples gathering. And among them, we see Jesus' mother. And from that, we learn that motherhood is is not an identity. It is not your first identity, but that discipleship is. The last time we see Mary in the Gospels and in Acts is in Acts chapter 1. She's listed as being a part of the first Christians, the first small group of disciples. Notice verse 14. Uh, We just get the list of the apostles. And then in verse 14, we're told, they all join together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Apparently, both Mary and Jesus' brothers convert. They uh, believe in him after his resurrection. And the point that I want to leave you this morning is simply this. Though Mary was Jesus' mother, um, he, she was more than that. She was his disciple. She felt it necessary to join in with the other believers as they waited for the the day of Pentecost. See, moms, her motherhood was subsumed in her identity as a Christ follower. In other words, she was a Christian first. She was a Christian first and a mother second. Moms, as important as it is for you to see your role and to embrace your role with Christ's help, you can only be the mom that God made you to be by embracing your identity in Christ and by following after Him. Only when you pursue motherhood as a part of your sainthood will you become the mom God designed you to be. And so happy Mother's Day. We're going to end with a, a blessing, a prayer for moms. And so, church, would you pray with me a prayer from Daniel Darling, a Mother's Day blessing. Would you please pray with me as we close? Father, we approach you and your throne on behalf of the mothers that you've entrusted with the care of these precious children and even beyond. We thank you for creating each and every mom unique with unique gifts and talents and callings and positions. We are so grateful for the sacrifice of themselves that each and every mom gives for her children. Father, we thank you for the gift of time that moms give to their children. We thank you for their flexibility, for their tirelessness. 
for their perseverance in their motherhood, and for their devotion both to you and to their families. Father, we pray even now, even now, that you would give each and every mom strength. Father, help her to see in every mundane task the eternal cosmic significance that you have placed on motherhood. Help her to see and understand that the most radical and world-changing events often happen in her home under her care. We pray even now for single moms who must lean solely on you to be the father of their children. We are thankful that your big arms surround those kids. We pray for them. We pray for every mom that has never had the honor of bearing children. But their nurturing love and care and tenderness extends to many, many people. Father, we ask that you would be with tired moms today and that you would be their daily bread. We ask that you would be their living water, that you would be their source of spiritual and physical strength. Father, we pray for each and every mom that they would reject the idea that they have to be perfect and instead they would lean on the goodness of the gospel and of the perfect, sinless Son of God. Lord, we pray also that each mother would revere you and worship you and know you through your Son, Jesus. Help them to rest in the knowledge that they are mere stewards of their children and that your spirit and your spirit alone can change their hearts and cause them to be the men and women that you want them to be. Father, most of all, we're grateful for our own mothers. We thank you for them. May we love them and cherish them and honor them this day as you taught us to do. And we ask it in the great name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen, amen. Have a great Mother's Day, guys.